Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog, from Fuga A to Fuga Z. I'm your host, Ian James Wright, and joining me today to discuss full disclosure from 2001's The Argument is Conan Neutron, who plays in the band's Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends, Household Gods, and Replicator, and hosts the podcast Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. How are you doing, sir? I'm swell. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, great, great to be here. Lovely to have you. We were just talking about naming things earlier, uh, the names of our creative projects. <laughs> you seem to be in the habit of putting your name in the name of your creative projects. Uh, do you think I'm making a mistake by not doing that? Missing out on some branding opportunities? <clears throat> No, no, it's 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 actually uh, well, you know, it's funny because no one's ever actually asked me that, and there's there is a very good reason for it. First of all, is that for bands, it's impossible to have a band name that hasn't been done to death a million times. Like True. naming a band in the modern age versus naming a band in the '90s or something is a wildly different scenario. Imagine uh, going yeah, back to a time when you could name your band something like Nirvana. Or, right. <laughs> or sublime, <laughs> like just a simple abstract noun. <laughs> That's Replicator. I mean, we yeah. lucked. At my first band, we, we we lucked out. We lucked out into that, and uh, you know, hey, I'll take it. But yeah, the the whole thing at the time was meant to be sort of a comment on what was controversialization at the time. I wasn't trying to like build a three sixty brand or something along right, <laughs> those right. lines. Um, and largely, it was because with Secret Friends, first the first record i didn't realize what it was i didn't even know if it was going to be anything so i just decided arbitrarily I, I just hate the whole band name conversation so i was like okay this is called conan neutron the secret friends go on <laughs> <laughs> and away we go and i think with Protonic reversal it was something where there was uh what was it there was so there was something else called Protonic reversal that was like like in, in the this is not correct but it's in, in the if you go back to the MySpace days where it, it, you try to look up a band name and there's already something there, then you would do like, uh, you know, <laughs> the wanted Milwaukee or something. Yeah, you, right. know, you, would, you would depend something <laughs> on there. <laughs> it's like uh, um, like the London suede back when that was the. Uh, <laughs> right, right. right. Pub- publicist UK, you know, yeah. whatever. Like um, there was something along those lines. And what's what's hilarious is that it's long since gone. Uh, whatever it was, there was, but there was some show, uh, and I was like, "Oh, well, I don't want it to be uh, mistaken for that." And so, yeah, I, I'm not like some raging egomaniac about it, <laughs> and, and, and most people just call it Protonic Reversal anyway, which is fine. Uh, but yeah, the full show is Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal, and that's also just a play in the fact that protons, electrons, mm-hmm, neutrons. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's just a, it's it's a atom molecular thing, and that's I did it for the wordplay. And and really? so it's a podcast uh, about music generally talking to musicians. Is there um is there a more cohesive concept than that behind it that you'd like want to share to our listeners who aren't familiar with the show? Sure. So so basically I didn't find out myself until kind of late in the game what it was about. It was more just I I had this idea that I want to make a show that doesn't exist that you know I would like to listen to that has these these ideas and and concepts to it. Uh, you know, just like a punk rock thing, right? And it's really kind of about why artists and musicians do what they do. Mm-hmm. And it, it's actually the only can question I ever ask. And I really enjoy hearing the answers. It's, it's funny because a lot of them, you'll, uh, you, you generally will get, there's almost a 50-50 chance that they'll just say, because I don't know anything else. 
Because like, why do you do what you do? Because I don't know anything else. It's almost always, but then you wait, and then like you wait a beat, and then you hear the actual answer afterwards, and that's always really interesting. And um, you know, I, it's it's something where I didn't ever envision this necessarily for myself. I didn't have dreams of being <laughs> a podcaster right. when I was younger. You know, I would be like, "What's a podcaster?" Why, well, when uh, I grow up, I'd like to be a podcaster. <laughs> I had, I had pictures of famous podcasters on my wall. No, no, that, that, is, that is not true. But it's something where I've always had what uh, I, I guess some folks would call the gift of the gab. But additionally, I'm just an inquisitive person. And, uh, you know, I, and I'm, I'm like the kind of nerd that digs deep into discographies and B-sides and like wants to know the motivation and, and all of the, oh, what happened in the studio while we're, they were doing Like just naturally that's like my personality type. Right. And so it, it's the show kind of gets into a lot of that, but I'll also to like, what was the mindset? Like, you know, where, where, what was happening in this section of the band's history or, or, uh, you know, you doing that record, like what was it, what was happening around that time? And what's, what's fascinating is that, because that seems to be like kind of a more natural way to approach things. I feel you kind of get a different sort of conversation than you would. Like, I'm not a big fan of the can question, can can response thing. Mm-hmm. I think there's some folks that can pull it off for sure, but ultimately it's, it's God, this, this is going to sound so academic, but it's like about building a rapport and making the person feel comfortable. And then that's when you get into interesting stuff. And for me, I don't, the key to the show, the secret key to the show, is I never have anyone on I'm not interested in. And I know that might sound obvious, <laughs> but that's, I mean, I've, I've turned down people where it's like, hey, you know, thanks for the interest, but, you know, I don't think it's, it's, it's right for the show because that's what makes the show good. And I wouldn't, you know, it's not something that I would be looking to do to just, okay, you know, it's Tuesday, Rob Zombie coming in, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's, all, all respect for those that do do that, but that's not why I'm doing it. The reason I'm doing this is because I'm trying to get the, into conversations with, with, sometimes it's people you know really well. At the time of this recording, I just had a, a certain Ian Mackay on. Right, as the last there's episode. the elephant in the room about uh, yeah. <laughs> talking about you the, might... <laughs> yes, the, the dovetailing between your podcast and my own. Um, it was yeah, a great conversation. People might be familiar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have you heard of this guy, Ian Mackay? Yeah. I'm, of course, going to put a link to that in the show notes. You also did uh, or earlier a podcast with Brendan Canty. Yes, and the wonderful Brendan Canty, yeah. So, of course, I'm going to tell my listeners to go ahead and, and listen to that, and we don't have to rehash what you and Ian talked about on your podcast, but I did want to ask you, what did you want to ask him that you didn't get a chance to? Oh, sure, sure. So, just, uh, so, so real quick, uh, the last thing I was going to say there is I'll, I'll have folks on that people know, but also folks on that I feel like people should know too. Like there's a balance between the two. Yeah, definitely. And it, it follows that thread, even if it's something where it doesn't necessarily make sense for everyone. And people kind of dip in and dip out. You know, some episodes people listen to more of uh, than others, for sure. But that's that's the idea behind it. Is, is it's sort of me not pushing necessarily, but putting out. Like everyone gets to get their get their time to treat the art seriously because if they're on the show, I care about what they do, and I usually am, you know, something of a nerd about it, uh, and so th- that's why the show works for me. So yeah, what was what did I not get a chance to ask you? God, so much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I actually had it planned out for literal years because I, I 
try was trying to get him on the show for like literal years. That the first thing I was going to do is I, I was like, oh, I've never heard any show that he's been on talk about him playing guitar. Like he's got a very unique and idiosyncratic style. It's uh, yeah, often imitated. It's it's done with the tools that it's you know as about as simple as you can get. It's like ACDC simple. It's like SG into Marshall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there's no pedals. Like it's hard to get more straightforward than that. So it's like all in the playing. And I really wanted to kind of get into that, uh, you know. And we got we did get into some of that. And I was I was very excited to hear him talk about, uh, you know, sitting down with the evens and why that was a, like a decision, uh, the baritone and how it's a, that's different. And then like now with Joe uh, and Kariki not having to like cover that low end and and just stuff like that. That was really fascinating. Uh, I kind of had the idea that I was going to be the guy that got. You know, <laughs> not the guitar player magazine, but just like into the, you know, hey, those, what do you call it, inversions that you do with the with the <laughs> thing where you skip the, you know, just get a little bit in the nerdery because everybody always wants to talk to him about ethics and they always want to talk to him about like greater things. And so what's interesting is that I feel like some of the stuff we did get into was like, oh, wow, this is actually really good for people to hear right now because it was sort of perspective stuff. Yeah, and I, I felt like he's got a lot of. I don't think I'm telling tales out of school to be like, well, Ian McKay has got a lot of wisdom and he's got a lot of good advice. And even though he would be the, <laughs> he, he would be the first one to be like, you know, say, fuck that. Uh, when, if, if phrased that way, but you know, these are trying times for folks. And I, I kind of felt like, you know, the fact that it took, it, it took a, a turn towards that and towards like contextualizing things and stuff. I was like, you know what, this is actually pretty good for, the the moment in time that we're currently in. Yeah, and in, it seems uh, like a good practice to, if something is on somebody's mind as an interviewer, kind of let it go there, <laughs> wouldn't you say? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that's, and again, a problem I have with, with some other shows is that they'll push and they'll push and they'll push. And because and they have a thing, they have to, oh, I want to get to this thing. And it's almost like, it's okay not to get to everything. It, it not, it, you know, that's all right. It, it's, it, it's okay to not... Yeah, have definitely. your prepared questions because uh, sometimes it's not always, but sometimes it could end up being like, "Oh, that's like a turd on the coffee table." <laughs> <laughs> like I, you probably shouldn't have brought that up. I feel exactly the same way you do. I've looked for interviews where Ian talks about that stuff, and I myself, I have conversations with him like in my mind though, and sometimes it's frustrating because I I'd be like, you know, well you know, what What gauge strings do you use? And I imagine Ian MacKay saying, that shit doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what He's gauge like, strings stupid. I use. Yeah. That's stupid. Why would you ask me that? Just, like, do your sh- worry about how you play guitar and don't worry yeah. so much about how I play guitar. Like, this is just how I, what I imagine him saying. But, like, maybe that's why I haven't read interviews where he talks about that stuff. But um, Well, that exchange sounds completely plausible. Yeah, like, that right? entire exchange. You just, like, and, 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 and so that's the thing is sort of, you know, not that I'm, oh, I'm I'm asking the tough questions or anything, but it, it's it's something where it's like, well, I've, it, it'd be cool to like try to approach that and see where that would go. And we did we did get a little bit into that. We you know went away from it. Um, you know, it's fine. Uh, like I, I I feel really good about the episode, but he's so sharp and he's so quick. Yes, and he has his ethos and he's so thoughtful about so much stuff that it's like. There's there's a so there's a certain echelon of guests. I would put Steve Albini in that same category, um, Andy Falcus, uh, Falco from McCluskey and Future of the Left, where just you could pretty much talk to him about anything. That's fascinating. And it's going to be cool. McCluskey, 
<laughs> McCluskey was an amazing band. Are they? Is McCluskey still active? Um, <laughs> uh, so McCluskey with a asterisk is active. Uh huh. So it's two two of the three people, uh, and it, it started off as the, uh, they got together for like a charity thing, and then they got together for another charity thing, and it wasn't meant to be anything beyond that. But then it kind of they started doing some more shows, and and it, it's interesting that it's a band that its legend has grown like far more since when they were actually operating as a touring entity. Hmm. Uh, and Falco also does Future the Left, which I think is brilliant, and Christian Fitness, and like. Future yeah. the Left has a profile, but for whatever reason, doesn't kind of hit people in the same way as McCluskey. Uh, so anyway, it's McCluskey with an asterisk. Got it. Yeah, I just asked because <laughs> amazing band, but I, I don't think I've ever read or heard an interview with him. For some reason, I never uh, sought that out. So I, I well, guess... If you want to hear five of them, I think I've read <laughs> five episodes with him. <laughs> but I'm... it's the same sort of deal where like they're wildly different because he's just, he's just sharp and quick and just... Boom, 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 boom. Like, if things move around, uh, you know, he's very clever. It's very funny. And I will it, definitely and, check that out. That's a strong recommendation, then. But in a totally different way than Ian is, and a totally different way than Steve is. Like, it's it's something where that's great. Because for me, I feel like those are th- those are interesting episodes. Because it's sort of like, it's not like there's any episodes I'm doing that I'm on autopilot or anything. But there's definitely some where it's like, wow, if I don't know what's going to happen next that's actually pretty exciting like that's <laughs> so yeah anyway the, the Ian McKay episode I want to talk to him more about guitar we got into it a little bit but it was uh, you know and it was interesting to me that it makes sense if you listen to I'm So Tired he started on piano yes right and but, and we got a little bit into that and that was cool like I, I, I enjoyed hearing about that because I you know if I knew that I'd forgotten let's put it that way and but it makes sense in retrospect it's like oh of course that's yeah <laughs> had a piano around the house sure and um, so speaking of Ian Mackay's beginnings, I, I do like to ask uh, all or mo- at least most of my guests about their beginnings with Fugazi. Do you remember when you first got into them, uh, how you first heard about them and how that relationship developed as a fan of the band? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I once said that, you know, on those dumb social media profiles where you put religion, political affiliation, I put... Uh, uh, religion Devo and political preference Fugazi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I was a, so I was a minor threat fan uh, as a kid and I got the tape tape of <laughs> the first record. And, you know, at first I didn't really know what to make of it. I was like, Oh, this is cool, but this is, this is not what I expect. Like I expected hardcore. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I was not prepared for what had happened. And then, but it, it really gelled with me. Like it, it was something where I listened to it like a lot, a lot, a lot, and then uh, then you know pretty much wore it out. And I was like, oh, they've they've got another record, great. And then you know found Repeater after that, and, and kind of went down the line. Uh, and it was something where it's like, wow, this this band is so interesting. And one of the things that really made them mysterious is there was no visual identity. There, there wasn't like you know like Nirvana with the you know, like the, the promo for the famous promo photos where he's got those sunglasses on or whatever. There was none of that. And that was just so interesting to me because it's like it forced you to pay attention to the music, which is why I think it's so funny that nobody talks about the music and why this show is so interesting. Because, you know, granted, you talk about a lot of stuff, but 
the music is so good. Like the music is why everyone's here, but like all the music almost never get talked about. <laughs> you know, why are the shows five dollars? You know, why do you be here? Yeah. You listen to commune, like all these dumb questions that people come up because in absence of of playing that PR game and doing those things, people just imbue crazy stuff <laughs> into it, and and, and yes. it, because because there's not really any precedent for that. Like you know, if they're Sure, you could like say something like the residents or something along those lines, but they had they definitely had an image. It was just like an anti-image image, and they definitely had a visual identity and this and that. But yeah, anyway, the point of the point of fact is that I would get each record, and each record is like, wow, that's you know, the art is like so cool, and it's just it's something like I don't know what that's going to sound like. Oh, it's going to sound like more Fugazi, and like, what does that sound like? Well. You know, repeater sounds a lot different from in on the kill taker. And that sounds a lot different than end hits. I mean, I remember, and again, weird to think about in this day and age, but I walked into the record store the day end hits came out without even knowing that there was a new Fugazi record. I was like, Hey, there's a new Fugazi record. And the guy's like, Oh yeah, that came out today. I'm like, Oh wow. Cool. And like, I had no idea. Yeah. No PR that's bliss. Insane. <laughs> that's, that's so crazy. Cause if you think about it now where it's like, you know, you have like these promotional videos and like, you know, think pieces and like whatever and singles teased out this and that. It was like, oh, new Fugazi record. It's fun to imagine a world awesome. where like uh, they appeared on Letterman or SNL to like play their new single. <laughs> like, right? that's, that's an amazing little thought experiment. Yeah, yeah. Oh, here, here's Fugazi with five corporations. How about that, Paul? You know, <laughs> what? Like that would, that'd be like, world changer but then by the same token like they managed to do they managed to do what they did and they did it completely on their own terms and with their own world building and and without any of those enterprises so it's it's understandable that people get hung up on that only want to talk about that because it's it's so rare it's so rare to to have that culmination of that DIY ethos of like, no, we're not going to support any of these corporate structures. We're going to just build our own house next to it, basically. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. It, it rounds out the music but... <laughs> a little bit that, that like, exactly the background. I mean, you see it all the time. There's, there's certain musical acts that have this hook that everyone wants to talk about. Like, Bon Iver is a famous recent example of like everyone wants to talk about how he went out to this like cabin in the middle of nowhere and recorded this album all by himself like that's the main thing and like talking about the actual songs comes second right right and it's something where that's kind of I think standard issue now and I think that's a shame because it's something where but it is it's sort of like almost like the uh, monkey's paw or something that because of the way that Fugazi operated and you know creating these systems, that's all anybody ever talks about. They, well, like, they rarely actually Fugazi, talk about the music. <laughs> like the other thing is, it's so much. It's not just one thing with Fugazi. It's so many things. Like the five dollar yeah. shows, the not signing with a major label, the not selling merchandise, the uh, the the making sure that nobody moshes too harshly, things like yeah, that. No promo photos. You know, just like things that that like you just nobody even thinks about doing anything any differently than now. It's just like, they, they just like, no, we're going to do whatever we want. And, and I guess I've heard the, I've heard like the devil's advocate thing of that, which is, yeah, but they were able to do that because Ian already had a profile for minor threat. Okay, sure. But that would like work for like one record. If it wasn't just, you know, 
holy crap, amazing music that like connected with people like that only would have worked like for a little while. And that may be true because there is something where like, and Steve Albini is the same way. It's like, okay, well, Steve's able to operate in this way because he like spent a lifetime, you know, making amazing art and it like, you know, connected with people on this broader level. And because of that, he's able to parlay that into shellac doing basically whatever the hell they want, whenever the hell they want to do it. Cool. I get that, but it doesn't discount the fact that it's, you know, it's not that it's, it's brave necessarily, but it's, I think it's absolutely notable and it's makes sense that it's something that people want to talk about because, you know, there's thousands of bands that wish, you know, have tried to emulate that or have adopted certain pieces of like Pearl Jam with the, the ticket price thing, you know, and then like, <laughs> and doing their own live series and stuff like that. I mean, there's so many examples of it and on a macro level as well as a larger level. But it's something where it's it's like, yeah, what do you focus on? And I feel like there, there tends to be a lot of process because it's just there's no other – what other bands do it? Yeah. Or have done it? None that I can think of, not on that level. Yeah, it's, that's totally understandable, I guess. But you've hit the nail on the head as far as why I do this show. It's I, I have recently kept thinking about Shakespeare, right? Like Shakespeare, uh, he's, uh, he's commonly – uh, thought of as having major plays and minor plays, but even the minor plays, right, like uh, Timon of Athens or Titus Andronicus, even they have a body of criticism. Whereas Fugazi, I mean, I I'm not saying Fugazi is <laughs> is Shakespeare, but to me they are they their body of work comp- comprises a great work of art, and a lot of their songs have never had more than half a sentence written about them at a time. Right, exactly. Because there's this. If you look at the reviews, it's 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 like all about this is how they operate. This is, you know, this is the the framework that they that they work in. This is like all this, like everything's like a brief history of time. When all you want to know is like, what time is it? Like, you know, what's what's on this record? <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then by the same token, you know, you ta- a previous guest that you had on uh, a guy I know, Ike Turner from Minutes and Out. Like, I mean, he called them like the Beatles of our generation, and I was thinking about that. I was like. I can kind of back that at least for like, you know, a certain, you know, this, this is now like culture, the way we're at, everybody gets their own Beatles, <laughs> you know, but, but in terms of like overall scope and scale and influence and, uh, you know, all of it. Yeah. Like that, that tracks, that tracks, like it's not perfect. Cause they're, they're, they're actually the Fugazi of Fugazi, of course, but just the songs, there's not a bad record. All of the records are great. <laughs> All of them. And like, that's hard. I used to have a game that, that I would uh, play with other <laughs> rock nerd friends, which is, okay, you got to think of a band that hasn't had any significant lineup changes and has more than five records. Or actually, I said four records. More than four records that hasn't put out one that sucks. <laughs> And it's it's it sounds like an easy game, but the more you think about it, the more it's like, oh wait, hmm, hmm. Because even like you know, I love Gang of Four, right? It's like it's like okay, I love Gang of Four, and those and those first two records are amazing, but it's like, oh man, those '80s records are are harsh tokes. Wire, love Wire, uh, so great, but there's some whew, stinkers in in the catalog, <laughs> big time. I mean, Melvins are one of my favorite bands of all time, but they put out at least like two or three records that. I'm like, yeah, you would have to pay me money to listen to that. I'm not going to do it. But Fugazi, 
all the records are great. Solid track record unique. of not sucking. Yeah. Yeah. He's, <laughs> which is sort of like, that should be like every band's <laughs> gold uh, uh, North Star, right? Just make it, just do what you do, do it honestly, and don't suck. But then also the, the thing that w- that works with them is that, and this is this should be a good segue, is that the records are different. They try different things. They try new stuff. And it's something where, you know, a, a, a repeater is very different from a steady diet of nothing, which is different from, you know, Margin Walker, which is different from Red Bendison, which is from, and hits. And the argument. Well, I love a good segue, and I'm not just going to leave it lying on the ground. So here I go. I'll pick it up. And today we're talking about full disclosure from the argument. And I think uh, just by way of introducing it off the top of my head, the biggest thing that makes it unique within the Fugazi catalog and differentiates it from what came before is we have a couple of notable ladies doing background vocals on this one. We have Kathy Wilcox of Bikini Kill and Bridget Cross of Unrest, among others. Uh, So... That sets full disclosure apart. Another thing, just to introduce it, is in a couple of interviews, Guy has talked about the origins of this song uh, being intertwined with the origins of Strange Light. So let me just quickly quote from one of those, uh, morphism.com. There's, uh, I'll put this in the show notes. Uh, he says, it's kind of funny because for the longest time, Full Disclosure and Strange Light were actually the same song, and they don't sound anything like each other now. They never coalesced, so they separated and became two different songs. For us, it's weird because we know their genealogy and how they break down, but for people hearing them for the first time, they're not going to pick up on it. And uh, there's a... Uh, pitchfork interview where he says something quite similar so there's my little introduction that. that's amazing yeah, yeah. that's I, that's that's fascinating that's yeah <laughs> it is. I, and it's something where i think if you if you heard like um well because there's like some demo versions of uh of some of that stuff i know that's like floated actually wasn't one of them on the uh i'm, I'm blanking on the name the the thing that's like the the odds and sods oh, uh, instrument yeah, 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 exactly. Thank you. That has the like. There's one song that kind of sounds like it should be the theme song for an NPR like news break or something. Like, <laughs> you know, you know yeah. it's just like it's kind of it's kind of a crazy sounding, uh, a crazy sounding record in that it's there's things that clearly they would not be like. No, that's not going to be for the record. But it's still fascinating. Uh, you know, I think if you listen to some of those. Uh, some of those versions and those demos, like it would make sense that like, Oh yeah. Like by the time it went through like the Fugazi be grander, it's very different on the other side, like very different. I, I feel like you're not the first person to have used the phrase the Fugazi meat grinder. So that's that's super interesting. For real. I think well, I somebody else said that. militant vegans, so <laughs> the Fugazi tofu grinder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. The tofu grinder. <laughs> that's good. Is that, do you think of that? Uh, just right off the top of my head. See, that's solid. Ian McKay's not the only one who's quick. <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Well done. Well, thank you. But um, yeah, usually I like to give my guests the first sort of uh, angle as far as what we should talk about with this song. Is there is there anything in particular about the song that jumps out that you want to talk about first? Yeah, yeah. So, so of course, uh, full disclosure is is technically speaking the third song, but there's that kind of like untitled right. um, mood setting thing it's like under a minute uh so it's coming out coming out of cash out and it's something where when full disclosure starts off it's it's a crazy kind of like 16th note 
thing, you know, and it's like going like super fast, and there's that ascending baseline. Yes. And it's such an interesting hook because it's something where if you only know like waiting room, you're gonna be like, what? What? What is this? Like, what's happening right now? Yes. Like if you only know the the like like the broad strokes of Fugazi. That's so that single note guitar line, uh, Ian's playing that. And a couple of things about that that I wanted to say is, A, interesting how clean the tone is. It's cleaner than his live tone, right? It's this twangy sort of stuttering. You can, you can, it's almost clean. Yeah, it's like, the, it's the volumes like backed off maybe a little bit. Uh, yeah. Because I know he's, he was, he was big on using the volume knob. Yes, uh, yes. To, to control, like to the point of, of being like, oh, wow. Like I was like, oh, what pedal is that? You know, like, <laughs> right. Like, oh, it's, it's called the volume knob, kid. You know, oh, all right. And the other thing about this guitar part is just how long it goes on. And if you just imagine the logistics really of playing yeah. that, it is that is marathon <laughs> shit. Like that is not easy to play that for as long as Ian plays it in this song. Like it just it makes my hand hurt just thinking about it. Yeah, but it also works for how they would do it live, where they would just kind of uh, string songs together and they would like look to each other for cues. So, like you know that makes for a good cue to like you know, go over and do something. So something where I don't know if they were just trying to integrate that sort of mindset into the overall songwriting or they were just like, Hey, that sounds cool. Keep doing that. You know, <laughs> but, but it builds tension. The whole thing is it builds tension uh, for like a, a pretty good amount of time, which is kind of like an interesting thing to do when it's like, you know, super early on the record like that, but it works so well because then when it, when it hits and he starts singing, there's those weird slidey guitar parts. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, that is the weirdest hook because it's super <laughs> catchy, but you're like, what, the, what's going on? Like, what, what is that? Like what's happening? And it's, it's the idea of like, you know, the X is also good at that. Of just like using weird guitar- things that you would not think of. You would think just be noise in the hands of a lesser musician can become like a hook in that way. Yeah. And I think, that when when Guy's guitar comes in, it happens sort of at the same time his vocals come in, and they mirror each other in a in a pretty close way. They're both just these wild, unhinged, unmoored kind of things that he's doing with both his voice and his guitar. Yeah, and and you know he's doing this sort of you know <laughs> you know they always talk about uh, it, it was uh, the first Ramon song where they talked about wanting to do something was I want to sniff some glue. Uh, but everything else was, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so like in the lyrics, you know, you know, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want. And it's just like immediately starting off with that. But then, yeah, having like the dichotomy of, of like these like more unhinged vocals and like this just like, what is like, how do you come up with a guitar part like that? It's, I mean, it has to be just, you know in it in the zone of like let's just do something crazy here hey that sounds neat like i don't know like it's yeah. but it's, it's genius because it works really well so I, it makes me wonder how long it took them to sort of like That's... workshop that okay do this for you know 32 bars and then I'll... <laughs> 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 and then i'll uh i'll come in with this part that uh sounds like a robot attacking you know okay yeah, cool. well right on well they wrote out the sheet music of course this is well known of course yes well they're they're noted for doing that <laughs> yeah the the overall effect of that whole thing in the beginning it sounds like a temper tantrum you know like it, it, totally yeah 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 absolutely I, <laughs> like vocal delivery uh lyrics all of it yeah yeah and it's I, I have a I have a little kid, but she's sort of like pre saying actual words now. But this is this is how I imagine it going when she can talk, because it's it's not even coherent the whole way. I don't. It, it's like 
he's he's forgetting to breathe you know it it sort of has that sound it's like i don't want to i don't i don't want to yeah yeah you, you, the breath like, becomes part of the yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah totally uh-huh. <laughs> it's like he's so absorbed in what he's saying that he he's like consciously mimicking this distressed uh tone of somebody who's just having a complete freak out yeah and it's really effective because i mean as we all know uh with uh and of course for the argument we had joe stepping up as well and mm-hmm. singing which which is is worthwhile and interesting because he's got his own vibe and own presentation as well but uh the ian songs and the gee songs and just the dichotomy between the two it's like gosh you know either either person had had been and was a you know astounding vocalist and front person of their own but to have both of them going like doing their thing i, I saw some like a live video, my friend Travis uh, posted a video from when they played Dolores Park in San Francisco uh, for a Food Not Bombs thing. And this is like, oh my God, it's almost 20 years ago at this point, right? I was a kid. And uh, it just blew me away. Of just, I was like, wow, it's, it, it's sort of like you don't know where to look. <laughs> you know, you got Guy doing like jumping jacks and right. like between, like, and it's like, oh my God, this is crazy. Because it's easy if you never, and I feel bad for, for the people that never got to see them play because they were just, I mean, it's, it's everything you want to be. And then like 10 times more too. Yeah. Just because of this, everybody's giving their all and giving their all in a way that like Joe Lolly, you know, is like, you know, from the grand tradition of, um, uh, you know, who or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah thank you. I, I was like, I was trying to think of his name where he's just like, if you just look at him as a dude, he's not doing that much, but then you look at what he's playing. It's like, Oh no, he's, he's, digging in that's all that's awesome and so you would you would be if you were not a musician maybe you wouldn't like notice that so much but all four of them just freaking going for it and then when they when they did the argument they had jerry busher too so of course there was like the, the double drum song and stuff along those lines which is me for such a compelling show because it's like it made you if you did play it made you immediately want to go back into your practice room and start yeah. playing, like like without any hesitation of like i'm gonna I, it's not necessarily gonna sound like that but i'm inspired to do something yeah, I totally agree. I feel bad for people who never got a chance to see them. And a big part of that is, I mean, there's a lot of footage of them live, but none of it is like high definition, really good quality footage. I, I mean, of course, Jem Cohen and Instrument got some got some great stuff, but it it, it just didn't give you this, the same perspective of what seeing Fugazi was like, like a whole Fugazi show. Like, man, I really wish there was just one Fugazi show that was filmed like yeah. really consciously like a you know Martin Scorsese last waltz kind of thing sure like no, that yeah, you could see you could experience the whole thing in good quality with good sounds but that just that doesn't exist it's just in people's memories yeah and it's you know and that kind of suits the band's modus operandi which is sort of they didn't really have to get into it with like the cell phone camera world yet because they sort of uh decided to go on hiatus uh there when that kind of became ubiquitous yep. i mean now it would just be like it'd be like pissing in the wind right <laughs> what are you gonna do tell people not to i mean come on like you gotta like get like a generate emp pulse to like black out everyone's phone or something to stop people from doing that uh and it's it sucks because you got people that are filming that are not in the moment they're just like you know experiencing life through their view screen and i i, I totally get that mindset but it is yeah from the same token of of like, yeah, all these, you know, trash early gen 
digital cameras. <laughs> you right. know, it's like all we yeah. got is like I'm happy for what we got. Don't get me wrong; it's amazing, but it's it's doesn't hold a candle to to being there. And that that was I mean I was lucky enough. I saw them a lot. I saw them like you know seven or eight times or something along those lines. Nice. And every time it was just the best, like utterly fantastic. Like it, and it was something where. Again, hearkening back to like the strength of the catalog, it almost didn't matter what they played. But there always would be some bros that like, you know, we're just waiting around for waiting room to play. We're just like, <laughs> okay, fine. You yeah. know, it's a little uh, hard to imagine song. putting together a Fugazi <laughs> set uh, of songs that would be like a big disappointment, right? It's, it's yeah, it's one of those bands where it's like, yeah, think of any set list you can. That would be a great show. Yeah, and and that's something where you know when you talk about what's the best Fugazi record, like depending on the day, sometimes I'll be like, it's the argument because it's, it's, it's so brilliantly conceived and does like, you know, the moody thing where it you know, goes up, goes down. And, and, and it is so interesting that Joe really kind of came into his own for singing there too, because it's sort of like, wow, that's an X factor of, you wouldn't necessarily expect. It's like, it, you know, if you have like, you know, there's some bands where it's like, just have so-and-so be the singer. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought it back to that point because you were talking about Joe's vocals before and I meant to say something that we, we got off on a tangent, but when, when this song goes into the ooh part with the ooh backing yeah. vocals, ooh, I'm pretty sure yeah. the first time I heard that, I assumed it was Joe. Like It has that um, little bit subdued quality. Those Joe Lally vibes, yeah. Yeah, yeah that Joe Lally <laughs> vibe. And but I guess that it is of course um, Kathy Wilcox and Bridget Cross doing those um, seductive oohs and really lending a different feel to this song. Yeah, because if you only know like Repeater, right? Let's let, let's let's give credit and say not waiting room is Repeater, and like you you know that's your jam, or whatever. Then you're hearing this stuff that almost sounds like the Beach Boys or something going. But it's like in the middle of this, as we as we establish, like just bizarre non Euclidean geometry arrangement of like you know. And then when it, it's all this tension, 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 then it boom. Then when it hits, you get this like, you know, ooh, and it's like, oh, wow, that's a hook. Yes. That's like a legit like, um, you know, leader of the pack style hook almost like just from the classical tradition. It's amazing. Yeah, it's inspiring as listening as a musician, the way it morphs from this very chaotic, disjointed temper tantrum kind of verse into into the. I guess we'll call it the chorus um, in, in a very, in a pretty amazing way. Like how does it do that? It's sort of like, yeah, as you say, a lot of tension and it sort of falls right into place like a, like puzzle pieces interlocking. And then all of a sudden it sounds real nice. Right. It's something where (laughs) if you were listening to it it for the first time, you'd be like, I don't know what's going to happen next. I have no idea what's going to happen. And then you're like, oh, I didn't think it was going to be that. But that is very cool. (laughs) But then it kind of does the opposite going back to that uh, Ian Twangy part like that is a very disjointed jump. uh, Yeah, that's that's well, that's the uh, the other end of it. Right. Because it's it's like, okay, so you're now you're thinking that it's going to be you know, sticking with like this constant sort of pretty thing. And this is like, you know, <laughs> here's the car crash. And then we hopefully go back to the, <laughs> to the 16th notes. And then, you know, that weird do, 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 do that, like a very hooky classic, uh, Joe Lolly ism <laughs> baseline that yes. gets you back in there. And then at that point you can kind of hear B 
because it's returning, you kind of hear the hooks in that where maybe the first time you were hearing it, you were just like, oh, what's happening? Like, it's just disorienting. And it's almost like it's so, so, so funny that the album is called The Argument because it's sort of like that's almost like an argument between, uh, you know, the, these songwriting uh, concepts. Interesting. Like it's like two, mm-hmm. like pe- peanut butter and, and chocolate <laughs> being put together. <laughs> and that's not the only song that does that, but it's definitely something where, you know, I, in the hands of a lesser band, like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it hit the same way because it's very catchy. It's a very catchy tone. Yeah, it turns into something quite catchy for sure. Um, you can, you, you can imagine if they if they cut out the quote unquote crazy sounding stuff, this could be like a hot radio hit single kind of a thing. Oh yeah, like in an alternate universe where they had like yeah. run a, a major labels and like we're gonna need to hear see some hear some demos, kids. But yeah, I'll cut out all that noise. Just <laughs> just do this bit, which of course would you know this is a fantasy that would never happen, but. In that in that world, they would definitely be like a cut that up. But the thing is, that's what made guys so genius of, of of how they put together the songs because those parts were as much a necessity as as the big hooks, the big sing along parts, and the contrast between the two made them who they are. And it's something where I've heard that like that ethos in a lot of bands, hmm. but in in, a, in the kind of way that like you know talking to them afterwards would be like, oh, you know, so you know, what kind of bands you into? Oh, Fugazi and like. Ah, and they're like, no, no, I don't mean you're ripping them off. I just mean that, like, <laughs> compositionally, like the thoughtfulness of it. Like somebody said that to me once. I was like, wow, I'm going to take that as a huge compliment. Because especially with Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends, it's basically like weird, big hard rock. Essentially, if you are just listening to it from a, uh, you know, kind of a surface level. But if you listen to it, it's like, okay, the changes are kind of weird. Like there's kind of like unexpected things that happen here and there. Mm-hmm. And that's all s- stuff that, you know, I, I, you know, it, since it hit me right at the right time, like I studied all these records, like the damn Zapruder film, you know, <laughs> like, like, you know, re- rewind it, play it back. Okay. What is, what is he doing there? And, and again, because of the lack of like, nowadays kids can just, uh, throw on YouTube and like, you know, here's, all right, here's someone playing, uh, you know, uh, freaking suggestion. Okay, cool. And like somebody's figured it out and, and just literally playing it for you on the internet to look at. But, you know, back in the day, it was sort of like, how does like like how does he make that feedback noise? Like mm-hmm. what is that you know? Rah, 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 what's he doing there? I don't know. I have to remember to watch for it when I see them play. If I'm not too excited, I'm just <laughs> rocking out. You know. <laughs> Someone I forget who was saying recently that one of the things that's changed is like as, as guitar as an instrument has uh, fallen from its pedestal a little bit as in in, in pop culture and pop music. Like it used to be that guitar players were like Jedi. Like <laughs> they could do these amazing things. A lot yeah. of people, you didn't know quite how they did it. There is like, there's rumors that people would pass around like, Oh, he, I hear he does it while like he has, he takes a drill and he does this, or he uses a <laughs> coin instead of a pick right. yeah, yeah. and <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, all these little, um, weird tricks and things. And, and a lot of it that no, no kid, uh, passing these rumors around their high school, um, commons or whatever is going to be able to do. Cause they don't have a, a huge amp that they can crank up. Um, I mean, it's on the same level of, of like, you know, hearing a kid from the next school over that like ate 20 hot dogs and had to have a stomach pump of, <laughs> of just like, you know, that level of, of veracity. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I mean, to the major point there, there is a lot that you can learn about 
listening to Fugazi records, and one of them is definitely have the courage to introduce some tension and leave your audience dangling for a while. Like, make it a little hard for them. And then, hey, if you choose to have uh, a, a beautiful sounding thing that you come back to, it's going to sound all the more beautiful for the contrast. Yeah, and to have that trust. And, yeah. and, sort, and sort of the idea that, like, yeah, all right, well, and if you're, you know, if you're not going to hang for it, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and to have that level of, of assuredness in what you're doing. And that's something that, uh, you know, and on that, you know, some of my favorite guitar players have been folks where, I was like, oh, when, you know, Mike Moraski from Still Bathtub. Oh, what pedal does he use on that? Well, you know, what? Oh, my God. Like, you know, it sounds so crazy. And then it's like, oh, it's not a pedal at all. He's just like doing this weird thing. Like, what is that? And th- that's interesting as a player. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Especially as I think the modern world has become very focused on equipment and gear. And especially, uh, you know, pedals and other things that kind of are the accoutrement of playing. Mm-hmm. And... Again, harkening back to, you know, with rare exception, uh, you know, there there was no pedals at all in Fugazi. Like, you know, I think, you know, Guy had like some, he had like like some simple overdrive, I think, or something along those lines. But Ian just was straight into the amp, like not even not even a freaking tuner, which is like bold move. <laughs> yes. As far as that goes, however, I was listening closely to this. I. I believe I do discern the use of an effects pedal here. I don't know if if you heard the same thing, but sort of at the end of the song, the very end, yeah, there is yeah. some kind of, and, hear, and which isn't to say that they didn't maybe do it recorded. I, I'm talking about more from a live environment, and not and not being like dependent on it. Yes, like, oh, yes, I, absolutely. I can't, I, that's my sound. I don't. <laughs> I need that pedal, or I can't play that song like that. Yeah, in particular... Thing, there is kind of... I don't know what it is at the end, though. Do you know what that is at the end? Well, what I was talking about is, at some point, I think, on Ian's guitar, he's playing, again, that single note line, but it sounds like a, a very slow, rocking wah pedal. Like, he's not going wah, wah, wah. It's like wah as he's playing that single note thing. It sounds like that right. to me, at least. Yeah. Uh, if, um, if not that... I, I know the part you're talking about, but it is something where it's it's like it's curious, because it, it isn't, like, super foregrounded, necessarily, but it's sort of like, if you're listening for it, you're like, oh, yeah. I suppose that's something that could be done in mixing also, just like by changing the EQ gradually of the guitar as it's going. Uh, so who knows? It's, um... Yeah, but but it's it, it was always inspiring to me just to see that, you know, for the most part, right? And records are one thing and live is another. Of just, of just like, okay, these are just dudes that are putting their body and soul into this. Right. Like they're, they're putting everything they have into this. And they're exploring the instrument from a way like i mentioned the x which i would not know if not for fugazi first time i ever saw the x mm-hmm. uh from from uh what the netherlands right is that what they're from who i, I adore they're, they're so great and they're so good the first time i ever saw them was opening fugazi and i actually didn't get it then mm-hmm. i was sort of like oh okay these guys are having fun you know <laughs> like i didn't i didn't get it at all and i think it was just a little bit too young but then like i actually heard one of their records like played on the PA between uh, bands when I saw Shellac and Silkworm in uh, Victoria, Canada, weirdly enough. And I was like, wow, this is really good. What is this? And someone's like, it's the X. I'm like, oh, I think I saw them. But I, it was one of those things where I often talk about on, on the show of um, on my show about uh, someone being in the way of their favorite band. Right. So like un- Unsane opening for Slayer is like Unsane was in the way of people seeing their favorite band. Oh, right. <laughs> So, and, and they're being like, you know, you want to, um, 
you want to hope that uh, that the you know that the quote unquote headlining act is you know bringing someone along. It's because they they think there's something there. Whether there's a contrast, whether it's like, hey, we like these guys, we think you know, we'll dig it too. You you want to hope that the audience is going to be up for it. And there have been times that I've totally been been that person and, and been like, wow, this is great. I can't believe I discovered this cool band because they played for Fugazi. But first time I saw them with the X, I did not get it at all. Like I was just like, all right, whatever. Uh, but then I heard that record, and then I saw him again with Fugazi and Shellac, and I was like, "Christ, this is genius!" <laughs> and one of the reasons why it was it was just because they're they're playing guitars and making noises and in these weird musical ways that I'm like, I'm like, "How do you make that sound? Like, what what is that?" Like, and I'm like watching it and like not, you know, and they in kind of creating their own world with it of just taking the rule book and like lighting it on fire and like shooting it with a gun, you know, <laughs> you know just like totally just. Just crazy, innovative stuff. And the only other band I can think of that kind of approached things that same way is Fugazi, uh, with, with the you know the sort of like lexicon and metrics that they used for for their guitar stuff. And, and so in a way, being like very much a guitar band, but not in a traditional guitar way. Yeah. One. I, I mean, speaking of their guitar theatrics, one other thing that I was going to talk about in relation to guitar pedals is if you ever if you ever messed with like self self oscillating analog delay pedals oh yeah man yeah it's yeah. fun right and <laughs> yeah it's great <laughs> and i feel it, it's it's a slippery slope though it's a, it's a privilege not a right <laughs> yes yes exactly but the end of this song to me i could imagine them trying to like do something that mimics that sound like some somehow the the things they do with their guitars at the end of this song and how it sort of ramps up and ramps down Sounds like that to me. Oh, but they do it through playing rather than do it through the fa- yes, oh, yes, interesting. It's all okay, okay. Like they, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I see where you're going with that. Yeah, I'll, good. Try, I'll try to put a link to a video of of what I'm talking about in the show notes so listeners can compare if they if they're not familiar with analog delays. But that's that's just where my mind went listening to this. I can hear it, and that's something where I mean I think they often would do you know stuff like that and, and again I, I hammered home the which i can't believe i didn't talk to ian about this when i had him on the show but just the usage of the volume knob yes as crucial. Uh, you know as such a big part of the sound of just you know bringing it down to a whisper you know bringing it up like and and it's being something where i think it's i think that's the first time i ever thought about the volume knob <laughs> like because i was like why would you have it anything other than all all the way on all the time like why would you why would you do anything other than that Yes, and, and I'm pretty uh, sure seen... he uses two. His two pickups are very different output levels, also. So I, I think that helps, right? Yep. Yeah, and and yeah, and just using yeah, and the pickup selector stuff, and you know, just just of, of like, oh wow, that's I didn't think about that in a musical way, or mm. like in a compositional way. Like, and that's something that you know I've certainly attempted to rip off mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> on my own <laughs> in my own ways, just because of like, oh yeah, that's that's. An, that's a neat thing and like it's not something a lot of people think about like they think about they're thinking about the guitar in a different way and and it's sort of like using i'm going to use a weird analogy but try to stick with it uh like it's it's you slaughter an animal you use the whole animal right (laughs) (laughs) it's like you're using the whole guitar nice and again apologies apologies for the for the for the vegan listeners for the for the analogy i've used a meat grinder and i've slaughtered the entire guitar so we're (laughs) off to a great start but it's just this idea of, yeah, using the guitar as an instrument, but using 
all of the guitar and all the things that it does as an instrument. That's fascinating to me. And that's something where, again, that puts him in a kind of a rare echelon. That's kind of more almost like Fred Frith and like, you know, experimental composer mindset, but coming at it from like this rock, punk rock, post-punk, <laughs> noise rock, whatever you want to call it a uh, way that, you know, Sonic Youth, obviously they had their things that they did. It's not like they're the first band to do it, but their first band to do it in that idiom, in that way. And some of it is so subtle that unless you're like a complete geek looking for it, you're not necessarily going to know. And it's kind of cool. And it's kind of cool of just like knowing your instrument yeah. that well, that it's, like, you know, everything that it can do. It's, it's kind of freedom through constraints. I recently, I got a um, tweed champ amp um and mm-hmm. it's it's this tiny amp for people who don't know uh like little little five watt amp all it has is a volume knob like no other controls and it overdrives if you crank it up just like, like ian's huge uh marshall but of course at a much lower volume so you just have it set on a certain volume and you just use your guitar and tone knobs to create the different sounds and so i've been playing that a lot recently with just plugging straight in um, and it's it's very inspiring in a way. It's like, well, I can't rely on uh, smoke and mirrors. I've got to uh, use the instrument. <laughs> exactly. You don't have any cover. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to actually. And that's, yeah. And I think, you know, that the, the usage of the constraints as a compositional tool, I think is, you know, it's a very high-minded way of putting it. But it, it's just, it's making the best use of what you have. And kind of just knowing it well, like knowing knowing what you have. And and that's an ethos that I've certainly taken to heart in everything I do. Uh, and, you know, think about anytime I change things up, too, of, of, you know, it used to be I had this, like, literally this exact same setup for something like 10 years or mm-hmm. something along those lines. And the only reason I changed it was I was like, okay, I want to try something different. I want to try something. Di- and then it was like, okay, there was a bit of a learning curve for that. There was a bit of a you know, getting to know how everything reacts now, like what's different here. And, but again, that just comes back to, you know, thinking about a song like full disclosure and like knowing what kind of sound is going to come out and like how that's going to fit together with everything else. That's like knowing the band, knowing the song as much as anything else. Like, and it's a way of writing that, you know, it's very hard to get that if you're, just a person sitting there, you know, recording stuff in the garage band because it's it's, because the interplay between everything is going to be so unique. And, and it's funny for me to be advocating for that band in the room philosophy because it isn't how my music works like at all. (laughs) Like, like actually I, when I got together in a, uh, in a room to like play music, uh, with, which actually that was an interesting Ian thing, uh, his differentiation between playing music and being in a band. I thought that was actually pretty cool. But the, um, you know, I, I, you know, the, one of the people I was playing with turned to me and was like, is something wrong? I was like, no, I'm just trying to remember what it's like to, uh, to do this, to play music in a room with some people at the same time and not have anything like definitively worked out. And it was just weird for me because I had somehow unlearned that because it just isn't how I make records now. And it isn't how I write songs. But it was something where, you know, obviously it snapped back, of course. But it was just kind of so funny because for the longest time I thought, oh, that's the only way to do this. The only true and authoritative way. And 
I've just kind of deprogrammed myself towards that. But, the, you know, a great example of, of that and it being, again, the test of name a band with more than four records that has to have significant lineup change where one of them doesn't suck <laughs> is like you have all of these these great musicians that know how each other plays, but they're always pushing each other to do cool and new different stuff. So I'm not saying that's the only true way to do things at all, but it is, is it, it is a way. And, and like, I would use like an example of a, a good example of that method would be Fugazi because you just, you would not get the same thing if it weren't, all of those people. That sounds obvious. I say that and, and it's like, Oh, really? <laughs> you wouldn't get the same thing, you know, but you know what I mean when I say that, like it, it's, it's, it's something very special and very unique. And, you know, there's a reason why stuff hits differently when it's, when it's, you know, I, I adore the events. I adore Kariki, but it's different than Fugazi. And of course it's different. It's a different freaking band. <laughs> and you can have the same constituent parts, but it's not going to hit in the same way. And I think that that's, Again, the music rarely gets discussed outside of this podcast, which is almost overcompensation, you know, in a good way. <laughs> no one's ever accused me way. of overcompensating before, sir. Hey, any, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. I say it all the time. <laughs> uh, but it's it's awesome because, you know, and you get different things from different folks, but just talking about it compositionally, it's interesting. And it, it makes you wonder of like, well, how many, what was, what was the evolution of this song? You know, what... Yeah, you and, know, and you, you go back to Gee saying the thing about like you know the demo sounded uh, more like the other song originally, and then it changed. Well, what what, what did that sound like? You know, <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the reasons why when we discussed instrument before the instrument soundtrack, that that record is so valuable. It just gives you a little bit of a glimpse into what was happening there. What's the stuff that didn't make their records? What are the little odds and ends that came from their brains that turned into something else or didn't turn into anything at all? So I value that in that record. Yeah, like um, Guilford Fall. Like I think that's yeah. that's one where there's like the most like, oh my god, <laughs> that's that's crazy. <laughs> but then you hear like you know uh, that version of Caustic Acrostic that's like super sl- <laughs> super <laughs> right. slowed down. We're like, oh my god, that's so funny because it's like you can tell it's the same song, but it's like it's like at the wrong speed if you had a seven inch going or something. It's on thirty three instead of forty five. It's certainly not at the Fugazi <laughs> speed. Yes, <laughs> definitely, and and. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a kind of a, that's such a cool, and it's one of the things, I think it'd be cool either way, instrument the soundtrack, but I think it's doubly cool just because if you're familiar with the material, hearing those demos and like hearing that stuff that like didn't make the cut or just, you know, didn't seem appropriate or whatever along those lines, it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating. Like what stuff does like Fugazi throw out? You know, okay, well, there's like that shaking all over. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like it's them, you know, screwing around in the, in the practice bit. They're not screwing around, but you know what I mean? I like, just had like, you there's, know, there's value in screwing around, though. You there's know? value in screwing around. Yeah, exactly. Sure. But it's <laughs> Fugazi is almost the antithesis of screwing around in my mind. Uh, but it, it's, it was, I could see where there might have been uh, some reticence to put that forward. Necessarily, yeah. but I'm super glad that they did, and I, and I, I think it's it's in the same way that like the the first demo is fascinating too, because you hear embers of like what's going to be there, but even in the songs that like you know, it's like oh wow, this kind of kind of hits a little different. Like this this started off you know differently than it ended up, 
which makes sense. The songs live, they play them live, <laughs> you know, they evolve. Um, and that's another thing that's so cool about Fugazi is like the songs, you know, within reason, it's not like they were going out to like, you know, 20 minute long interstitials or anything, but the songs evolved and changed as they played them live. And they, you know, they would, they would like kind of join them together. Like, okay, this is, if we're going to play this and it's going to be like either this or this other thing after it. And, and, you know, they had that language and that lexicon and that mapped out almost like conspiracy theory board <laughs> what they were doing, even if it would change on a dime. That's a great visual. The, uh, yeah, cork board with a bunch of red strings across it. This, this is how <laughs> right, our songs exactly. work. Right. <laughs> well, speaking of screwing around, I want to make sure we, we at least tackle the lyrics to some extent before this episode ends. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess we Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's so rare. I, I try to keep myself out of the conversation as much as possible on my show. So it's kind of like I tend to go yeah. way the other way than I'm on other shows. So <laughs> You need an outlet. My bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you come, on, come on here every week and, uh, and get, 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 get some I mean, pent-up thoughts out. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll talk about pretty much any Fugazi song <laughs> at length, whether anyone's listening or not. It's just a, you know, it's a bonus that there's anyone listening. No, but did, uh, you, yeah, so, did you have a specific uh, idea of what this song is about? What what geese what geese on about? <laughs> yeah, it's it's sometimes it can be challenging with gee as we have discussed many times on this podcast. Yeah, so I, I think it's and, and I think a lot of with what, what, uh, with a lot of the gee songs, I think it's they kind of tend to be simultaneously about multiple things. I think this is. This is definitely one of those. I mean, there's sort of like some kind of self-denial uh, things going on, but it's also, I mean, full disclosure, right? So it's sort of like, well, what, what would be being disclosed? Mm-hmm. It's, and, it's almost as if the song title is saying, look, this is a statement of honesty uh, that that perhaps perhaps I would be reluctant under some circumstances to come forth with, but here it is. Here's Here's... I guess in this case, what I really want. It's a song about what Guy wants. Right. But it's also about, you know, kind of a, you know, there's that, uh, you know, there used to be a lot of talk around this time around mutually assured destruction. Yeah. You know, right. you... that, that, that was a pretty big deal. Like everyone, it was, it was like a phrase that was like used a lot. And like, um, you know, what, it, what it's like, want a mutually assured destructive uh, life seizing separate culture. Like it's sort of like, okay, that's like Fugazi ethos. <laughs> but then the mutually assured destructive. Oh, wow. Well, what does that mean? So it's sort of like the idea of, okay, there's these secrets and, uh, you know, there, there was sort of a, it's kind of, it's hard to contextualize because now I feel like we're in a, such a different place as a culture, but there's the idea of like everyone's secrets are going to be exposed now. And it's something where. Are you talking about like with, the sort of dawn of the internet era? Yeah. And then like, you know, think about like, okay, so this is, 2000 2001 mm-hmm. 2001 i think right right this is like right before they passed the patriot act um and, and all that stuff and the idea of, of being like hey we're going to be entering this world where uh you know state secrecy uh was, it was sort of like okay do you want to be safe or do you um do you want to have privacy like mm-hmm. there was a lot of talk about that especially of you know and, and it being like that like an either or of like you can either be safe or you can have your privacy. Choose one. Of course, yeah. people. Are, well, we want to be safe, right? <laughs> and but there was this almost demand for 
openness. Like, well, oh, if you're not a terrorist, you don't have anything to hide, right? So to me, and again, I might be interpreting this totally wrong. It's sort of like uh, that larger concept and uh, also, you know, take into a more personal level. And, you know, that's a, that's a geeky thing. I think a lot of that, you know, goes back to Rights of Spring, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like he's he's definitely some someone that is okay, you know, throwing the tantrum, as I think you <laughs> alluded to. And like, and, like, leaning into it and having to be cool and having to be, like, cathartic and having to be something that is an honest expression of emotion. Uh, so I think the idea is sort of like, you know, okay, there's this larger demand for openness and uh, transparency, maybe is, is, a, is a, it's a better term, right? Um, and in, in this case, knowing that the context is that there are all these demands for transparency uh, being put upon by, you know, the government and, and culture, but then also treating it like as a personal thing as well. Like, what is what does that entail? And I do think it's fascinating that, uh, you know, Kathy's on that too. Right. So it's like, yeah. Okay. Like, what is, you know, what I, I would love to hear Guy's answer to that, which is probably way better than mine. <laughs> Just interpreting what I think it is. But I, I mean, Guy's, Guy's a tough dude to figure out with his lyrics. I think, I think Ian's are way more straightforward, like not in a bad way. Just I think they're, yeah, on the whole for sure. But it's, it's amazing how, I mean, the, the political connections that honestly didn't occur to me at all. Uh, so it's, it's amazing how people can read different things into these somewhat abstract oblique lyrics and come come out with totally valid interpretations that that I have like I would never have thought of. Like to me, when I, I like just listen saying the lyrics as a sentence, right? I want a mutually assured, destructive, life seizing separate culture to take me over and blow my mind, sponsored by no one. Like to me, that sounds an awful lot like Fugazi. Like it's almost yeah, as if like it's describing the band. Ethos. Yeah, sure, like yeah. <laughs> it's it's this completely uh, different subculture uh, of like you know punk rock in general, but Fugazi's brand of of post punk rock in particular, um, all of a sudden uh, coming before you, coming into your life, blowing your mind, sponsored by no one. Like there's no corporation behind this at all. Uh, so, so I mean, I I would completely doubt that Guy is writing this song about what what his band means to other people but that's how it strikes me it's like wow this just sounds like Fugazi um it also sounds a little similar to what I've heard Guy talk about before um when it comes to cinema movies like in in songs like Cassavetes for one it sounds like he he has really strong reactions to uh movies that that particularly move him and are honest in the way that, that John Cassavetes was honest and, you know, just sort of uh, a separate culture that takes you over and blows your minds. So those are a right. couple of ideas. Yeah. And I think that a lot, you know, it's, it's definitely a thing where I'm sure there wasn't just one idea about all this, but the idea of, you know, opting out of something. And that was, and again, you got to remember like the culture at the time, like that was, that was such a, wasn't any there weren't any voices in the mainstream world sort of speaking out against this like it was kind of considered like oh you know that's that's like that's like heretical and and unfortunately you know 911 kind of put that in overdrive like people kind of attribute it to 911 but it existed before that and that, that was sort of more like how like the bush regime sort of decided it wanted to do things but 911 like took that which this came out like 
really close to 9-11, I remember. I think it was like like a month or two after or something along those lines. Yeah. And the idea that, again, I, I'm laying into the Patriot Act because th- that didn't come out of nowhere. And the idea being that, you know, you think about now, you know, privacy concerns are a freaking joke. Like it, everybody's being tracked all the time. Mm-hmm. Everybody is the product. Like that is just a, a, a known thing. But that wasn't always the case. And this is like 20 years ago. But it's it's something the idea of which is depressing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know there there's you know the, I, I want out is like okay that's like a like a self denial but it's also like I think more about this overarching thing and maybe I'm just projecting onto it because in Replicator that, that record that came out around that time we had a record called You're Under Surveillance and it was about all these same topics uh, but everybody called it paranoid at the time and then it was sort of like oh no actually you know this is. <laughs> <laughs> this is act- all actually true, and we are actually oh, all it? under surveillance. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, you know, and I only tie that in is, is because um, you know there was this sort of undercurrent in the zeitgeist at the time of just being like, you know, well, why why is it why is this openness being exploited, and to what end is it being exploited for? So the idea of like you know the Fugazi world of you know creating your own. <laughs> you know, mutually assured destructive because <laughs> you don't care if, you know, if the, if the old way or, you know, mainstream way exists at all, life season separate culture. Why wouldn't you, you know, why wouldn't you do that? Like, why wouldn't you let that, you know, take you over? Why? of course you would like, like that's, that's, it's so much better than like, you know, the world that the, uh, the world at large that, you know, a lot of people don't have the ability to opt into have offered to them. And it's it's it doesn't have corporate sponsors, you know. And, and again, that's you know Fugazi World One Hundred and One, <laughs> <laughs> right? right? Uh, you know, and it's like as as emphasized by you know five corporations and uh, you know repeater or whatever. I mean, there there there's certainly you know no new themes being explored necessarily there, but it's it's something where okay, what does full disclosure mean? Okay, well you know think about in terms of uh, WikiLeaks is is a thing that people think of as a certain thing now. They think about it in terms of the 2016 election, mm-hmm. but the idea of transparency and these ambassadors having their emails, uh, you know, brought forward and brought public—things that were never meant to be public. Like the whole point with it. So, what an ambassador is supposed to be? What ends up being is, is an ambassador is usually a political appointment by someone that you know contributes to the party, or like, oh, so and so is a good person. Uh, you know, whatever, send them over to, you know, be the ambassador to Vatican City <laughs> or whatever. Uh, and okay, fine, that's that's cool. But ambassadors, when they're actually used for their political purpose, they're, they're, I, the idea is you want to keep the peace. And you're going to do that however you can. Like maybe it's like, oh, you know, so-and-so likes drinking and likes expensive wine. Okay, fine. And uh, what I'm getting at with all this is, is it's not a trade or a political position that I feel should be in complete, uh, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant. I don't think that's mm-hmm. the case at all because you can never know the context. And that's the whole point of being an ambassador. And that's why ambassadors are ambassadors. And, you know, Congress people are Congress people is you don't necessarily, you're not going to have all the context to know what it was. So it's interesting that, and it, this song predates, that uh whole leak but that was definitely a 2000s thing that again people only think of wikileaks in terms of 
you know, it was an abject political operation. I mean, I guess it was like some like 2006 or something along those lines that like WikiLeaks kind of came. So this is like years later. But the same, those ideas were always present of, of like, well, are we owed this transparency? And if so, who's sponsoring it? And of course, uh, one if you bring up WikiLeaks, one thing that that makes clear is, of course, it wasn't full disclosure. It was specific disclosures with exactly. a sort of agenda. So yep. it makes you think, I, I mean, in general, how often is full disclosure? If somebody says full disclosure, how often is that really full disclosure? <laughs> or <laughs> it's something they want to say. For They have a specific agenda behind it. They are revealing more than they had revealed before in order to, what, like win trusts, um, lay certain cards on the table. But I, I get the feeling it's rarely actually full disclosure. So it's one of these weighted terms that is intrinsically mm, suspect, I guess. I'd agree with that. And I think that that's, and again, it's a rhetorical device at yeah. this point, right? Like, <laughs> but this idea also that. Listen, full disclosure, gotta... I love animals and I donate <laughs> to charities right. all the time. All right. Cards yeah. on the table. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. There, there's, there's a lot of obfuscation around that. So I'm glad you came on the record. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's something where well, social media, I feel like has, has led people to believe in the idea of, you know, hundred percent access. Yeah. Is it actually, is it actually full disclosure? Like, you know, is that something anyone really wants? Like, do you want to know? Like, like, okay. So if we're talking about how Fugazi, write songs or makes records like you know it's probably we probably know what that story is going to look like there's probably not much to disclose <laughs> but then you know i just remember being like so bummed out uh because i was i had parents that were you know big pot smokers like i kind of saw every drug that you can think of done in front of me <laughs> through most of my childhood so like you know my rebellion was not doing drugs like it just wasn't of interest to me it wasn't considered a rebellious act at all and i was so sort of naive that like when it when i realized that like oh a lot of these artists and these these records and bands that i like they were just really into the influence i'm like oh and it bummed me out mm-hmm. <laughs> and it bummed me out in a way that like i wish i didn't know that because <laughs> now that like makes me think about them because before i was just like oh wow you know, how did Black Sabbath like come up with that riff? Oh, it's so cool! And then they're like, "Oh, they were real freaking high. That's why. That's how they. That's how they came up with. They were smoking yeah. the weed." It's like and, uh, learning how a magic trick is done. It sort of ruins it, right? And it's and it's not necessarily that you don't enjoy it, but you can't ever enjoy that in the same way. It changes the. It's like a parallax view. It's a um, like a Rashomon effect almost. Yeah, and it's um. Yeah, it's they they sing the words very beautifully, at least, <laughs> no matter well, uh, totally. how weighted the term is. <laughs> well, I, and it's something where where and it's 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 to have and like he's so impassioned. I mean, he's a you know he's a passionate singer. So like to have it be such an impassioned, almost you know, as, as you mentioned, like from an almost like tantrum style delivery. <laughs> That's true. Huge contrast. It's very there. clear. It's important. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, this is an, this is important stuff. Like, what is it exactly? Well, you know, that's not necessarily up for full disclosure. <laughs> I also like how they sing when they, when all the voices come together. I'm guessing on the title line, I'm I, like, I, I assume it's Ian, I, Ian and Guy both would sing it live. So I kind of just yeah. assume on the record, it's Ian and Guy and, uh, and Kathy Wilcox. 
and Bridget Cross. But um, I, I just like how they sort of they sing the word disclosure without really landing on the R. They kind of do it Beatles-esque, Englishy style. <laughs> Full disclosure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Like it's got a little, yeah. uh, little English on it. Yeah, the, uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I This might be a good jumping off point. I like to go to social media on, uh, on Facebook. We have a alphabetical Fugazi page where I ask people what they think about this song. And uh, one I wanted to single out as we discuss how they sing, um, the the guy who goes by the moniker Seldom Careful said, this is the one that Fergal Sharkey sings, right? Um, do you know who that is? No, I have no idea. <laughs> that, that's, that sounds like a really staunch cartoon character villain he's, or something. It's it's the craziest name. I didn't know who it was either, but it's he's he was the singer of The Undertones who did Teenage Kicks. Oh, and, oh, and okay. definitely like I wanna hold you on. So that that whole yeah. tone of voice, like I totally can can hear that in this one. Um, so that's that's super interesting. I've compared Guy at at certain times to uh to singing like Jello Biafra before, but this this is one that I hadn't thought of. So thanks thanks for that little addition, Fergal Sharky. What yeah, they were an Irish name. band, right? Uh, undertones. They were. Uh, I, think they were I think so. Yeah. Yeah, that's. That's funny. Like I, I, yeah, I, for whatever reason, I'm familiar with the Undertones. I think I even have like a, a, a record, and I know the songs, but like I never have once thought about anybody's name in that band. <laughs> whatever, yeah. whatever reason, so, yeah. so Fear, Fear, Feargal Sharky. F e a r g a l is his first name. Uh, wow, yeah. what a wild name. Um, so yeah, I agree. <laughs> and that's coming from Conan Neutron. Hey, yeah. <laughs> those. <laughs> Those Irish, right? They they have yeah, exactly, names. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Will Rockwell Scott says the section that begins at two twenty eight is one of the most beautiful moments in any Fugazi song. It is also, dare I say it, the closest Fugazi ever came to sounding almost Britpop. It reminds me of the best elements of the Stone Roses or Ride. And let's see, Carl Goldspink says uh, Guy's final quote unquote losing it Fugazi moment, and. Uh, Sometimes I read mm. too much into the I Want Out lyric. Has Guy had enough touring, etc. at this point? Kind of an interesting... Oh, uh, as like a literal translation. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, Probably uh, not, but okay. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Finally, Brian Ex Officio said simply, best song they ever did, which is a good mm. jumping off point to talk about ratings. So on this show, Conan, we like to give each of these songs a little bit of a totally subjective rating, and I'll just ask you, out of one to five stars, just in the context of the Fugazi catalog, what do you think about Full Disclosure, and how would you rate it? Well, I would say, and yes, I was, I was actually prepared for this since I've listened to the show. <laughs> uh, I would say that it, this is definitely on the upper echelon of, of Fugazi songs. Now, I was thinking about this in terms of and I'm just going to bring it up because, you know, you brought up movies uh, and things a lot like Cassavetes and, and all that. And I've um, <clears throat> recently, somewhat recently joined Letterboxd. I'm not sure if you're familiar or not. This is, this is a, are you familiar with this? It's a website that you like basically can write reviews of movies, rate movies, you make a watch list for movies you haven't seen. Yeah, I know I've alerts. stumbled across it at some point, but I've never used it. Uh, and really that was just cause I, I, you know, during quarantine, it's like, I've just been watching a lot of movies, you know, catching up on movies I miss, things along those lines. And I was like, oh, you know, whatever, it's a fun thing to do. Uh, anyway, 
Uh, and then for whatever reason, I got into the the <laughs> the really dangerous rabbit hole of rating movies. Okay, what what's the difference between like a five star movie and like a four star movie? Yes, you know, <laughs> one is something like a one star movie versus a two star movie, et cetera, et cetera. And I found that my definitions of that have changed uh, considerably. Uh, as as I've gone on and done it, so when I think of like okay, like a, fi- a five star Fugazi song, to me is is like that's that's as good as it gets, and that's something where it's almost like here's your elevator pitch for getting into this band, and I would think of that better that in terms of um, you know like 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 for me that like a repeater would be in there right okay. like that's like that's like the top end, the top or upper echelon of like, it just doesn't freaking get any better than that. Timeless song. Amazing. And I think full disclosure is close. Mm. It's close, but I would say it's, it's, it's a four star Fugazi song, but you got to understand to me, based on my, my whole long winded thing about Letterboxd, is to say that for me, like four is really good. Like I don't <laughs> yeah, give, I don't yeah. give out a ton of fours. I've, I found like, <laughs> the more movies I'm going through and deciding how much I like them, the more I end up being like, yeah, that's, that's okay. Three, you know, <laughs> whereas when I start off, I like, go oh, three, no, that's for something awful. It's like, no, no, that's more of a two movie. Uh, I think full disclosure is great. Again, it's perfect within the context of the album. Uh, it's a brilliant song just in the fact that it does so many like Fugazi things that it does, that it, that um, I think of with the band. You know, maybe if, if you know we allowed half stars, I would put to put it as a four point five. But I think it just barely misses being in in, in the up highest t- toppermost of the poppermost <laughs> of the Fugazi songs on, on the rating scale. Hot rating, very good. Yeah, for me, when I think of these, I'm more and more. I, I always try to think of like what's what's the average Fugazi song and try to peg that as a three. And it's hard. That's harder for me than imagining what what five-star Fugazi songs are. Um, but yeah, in terms of that, I agree with everything you said. Although uh, the way I'm the way I'm feeling today, I think this is a below average Fugazi song, but only just. Really? Like, Whoa. Yeah. Old. I, okay. I think I would, I think I would say like 2.5. And the only reason is that. Damn it. So, I went on and on and on about how, how rough I was with the rating. It was a 2.5. Well, the thing is, when I'm when no, I'm doing this, me, yeah, if if I'm like, I have to have I, I have to have nitpicks, really. Like, there's there's no there's no crap Fugazi song, so I have to f- have my nitpicks. And nitpicks for this song for me just are like things like the baseline. Uh, it is like classic Fugazi, but at the same time, it feels like kind of a retread. It's very Margin Walker. Mm, yeah, uh, that's that's one thing. Like the final chorus, while beautiful and like it's. In in a way, it sounds amazing. It almost seems too non Fugazi for me to love it as a Fugazi song, and I don't feel like I'm some kind of Fugazi orthodoxist. Like I love end hits, and I think they're like some of their more experimental moments are the greatest. But I don't know something about it is like non Fugazi like in a way that I'm like, yeah, like it's it's good, but I don't know for it's it's not the Fugazi that I love. So just in that way, slightly below average as a Fugazi song, which, as we've established, is quite a high average. So before we wrap things up, I wanted to shout out a couple of covers. I do like to try to find a couple covers online that people may have done of the Fugazi song I'm discussing. Sometimes not very fruitful. Today, got some interesting ones. There's a Max Freytag, who seems to be 
I think he's German, but he's playing like jazz piano and he covers full disclosure. And then that segues into like a waiting room cover, which, you know, we've all heard plenty of waiting room covers before, but uh, this is one of the only full disclosure ones. So that's very cool. I'll put that in the show notes. Wow. Yeah, that's that's. Want to check that out? Yeah, <laughs> sounds interesting. Yeah, just like walking baseline, really sort of swingy feel, very cool. And another link I'll put is you know, somehow this has escaped my notice until today, the day that we are recording. But there is a band called Fugulele, which is an all ukulele fugazi cover band. Get out! No way! That's, I that's amazing. Fucking swear. <laughs> And, and they have done, there's a lot of their their takes on songs online. Like the one I saw for this one, it seems like there's a drummer and like six guys on stage playing ukulele. So um, I I have just today resolved, like, I have to talk to somebody in this band and have them on the podcast because, wow. Yeah, man, totally. Like, what are those dudes all about? Like, what's, yeah. what's, their, what's their take on it? That's, <laughs> so, I mean, are they like hardcore fans where they discover it because they were like, oh, this is like a cool shtick that we'll do? Or Listen, man, you you don't join an all ukulele Fugazi cover band unless you're a hardcore Fugazi fan. Like, yeah, <laughs> that is commitment to the bit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I hereby resolve to, to get in touch with these people. So yeah, good job guys. Uh, listeners check them out online and also check out, uh, whatever Conan says when I ask him about plugs, where can listeners reach you? Any kind of handles? Um, obviously there's the podcast and I'll link to that, but, uh, anything else that you'd like to plug and I will put in the show notes for people to check out. Sure, sure. So, yeah, the, the show is called Kona Neutron's Protonic Reversal, and it's protonicreversal.com. You can pretty much find it wherever you get your podcasts. However you listen to this show, you can probably find my show <laughs> sitting next to it digitally, you know, hanging out. <laughs> um, my music, uh, Kona Neutron, The Secret Friends, uh, neutronfriends.com or uh, neutronfriends.bandcamp.com. Bandcamp's like our preferred delivery system for the music i kind of think it's the fugazi of musical aggregators if you will mm-hmm. uh, but it's on uh, spotify and uh you know apple music and itunes like whatever 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 you listen to stuff on uh, you can find it there um i was part of a part of a thing part of a band called uh, household gods Householdgods.bandcamp.com. Uh, it was me, Dave Powell from Slint, and Vern from Unwound, and Lauren K. Newman. And we made a cool record in Joshua Tree. It's kind of a little bit like everything that we have done, which you think that might sound like a little bit like something totally different. Unfortunately, kind of marred by tragedy as both Vern and Lauren have passed on, um, which is a bummer, but yeah. the record's cool. That's out there. It's on all the normal things you think that would be on. It's on that's on Grady Records. Oh yeah, uh, Conan Neutron, The Secret Friends has a new record. I guess I could probably mention that, huh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> just just came out called Dark Passengers. It's a concept record about mental health and depression. It's on Learning Curve Records. Uh, you can find that anywhere you find Learning Curve stuff. Uh, and again, at the NeutronFriends.BandCamp.com as well. I think that's probably, and that's enough, right? I mean, it's like 17, but more, you know, people aren't listening to this to hear the plugs. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, we, we, we played with Mesthetics and that was, uh, that was badass. And that was sort of like a secret checkbox of, of mine of like, that's so rad. I've got to do that. You know, I got to show, 
after after the show, you know, they stayed they stayed at our place and um Back to the Future was on and Brendan Canty had never seen it. What? Yeah, and Joe Lolly even was like, What? You've never seen this? How <laughs> <laughs> have you never seen Back to the Future? And it was so funny because it was like, Wow, Joe Lolly is the audience if this was a sitcom because that's the first <laughs> thing I thought of, but it was better coming from him. Um, you know, and just when I consider how much Fugazi is Oh, so the reason for that, which would just sound like a name drop, uh, uh, and well, first of all, it's a Back to the Future story. But uh, when I consider how much of my life ethos, everything I do in music, uh, the show, and so on, are sort of informed by what Fugazi has done, not just musically, but in the worlds that they've created and let people into and be part of and, and built. Like, it's so cool to, you know, have you know, share a stage with them and to, and, and to have that build. And the aesthetics are great and legitimately great in a way that like, I don't think I really got it until I saw it live. And then I was like, Oh man. And I even like mentioned to Brandon. I was like, so I didn't get it until I saw Anthony. And he's like, yeah, we pretty much build this around Anthony. And it's like, yep, I totally get that now. <laughs> it's, it's super cool. And I, but it's as good as the records are like until you see them like shred it like that. It's like, Oh yeah. Wow. Um, and Brandon's like the coolest dude ever. I have another, kind of long involved story that I sort of tell on the Brendan Canty episode. I think that was like years ago. Um, but just that he was around, it was a really tough show that uh, replicator played, like one of the worst shows I think I've ever played at fireside bowl, just demoralizing. And it also happened to be that Fugazi was in town and we, that was not an accident. We arranged this, <laughs> we arranged this tour that, um, <laughs> We could we could get to see Fugazi, uh, and I think that was actually with the X and Shellac as well. And we just had a bad show. Like there's lots of equipment problems. We were playing some borrowed gear, and it was just it wasn't working out. It was just, everything could go wrong. It was and it, and it was like really early on. We were like, it was our first time playing outside of our time zone, and it was it was bad, and it was like working on us. And uh, the place we were staying, uh, Brendan was staying there too. He just hung out with us, like as a dude, and like just we would both be BS with him about like the Oakland scene, scene, <laughs> uh, about bands like from the Bay Area, and like he'd talk about like, bands from DC and whatnot. And you know, it was just really cool. And then so there was two nights, and the first night uh, Fugazi played, they they were in the middle of a song, and Guy's amp. I'm not entirely certain what happened, but the cabinet overturned and kind of fell Ooh. face forward and you saw this like pop from the back of like the, the Marshall yes. and it just like, and it was like, Oh, that ain't good. <laughs> and it was crazy because like, I've, I don't think I've ever seen Fugazi like shook before, but there was like maybe like a, you know, four to five second period where they were trying to figure out what the hell was going on, where they were a little shook and they pivoted immediately. They did like, um, you know, like a little margin walker or something, something that Guy just sings on while like everyone was like, you know, the, the elves scrambled around, <laughs> got another amp on and, and, and made it happen. Uh, but uh, for them, that was like a rough show. Right. And that was something that like, you know, most people, if they're not music nerds would even not even notice. But then the next day, uh, hanging out at a barbecue where they were at, um, you know, we were like down in the dumps for our own, just sort of like not delivering, not really, kind of being dealt a bad hand but just sort of like that wasn't that wasn't what we thought it was going to be but then to see fugazi like have they did a huddle 
they did a huddle where those those four guys like talked amongst themselves about like, hey, what can we do to make sure that, that doesn't happen again? What actually happened, et cetera, et cetera. And it was probably a very minor thing for Fugazi, but it was meant the world to me because I was like, wow, if those dudes like freaking Fugazi, like best band in the world, if they can have a rough night and they just like huddle up, figure it out and then, you know, hit harder next time. Then that's that was that was very inspiring to me. Like seeing that was was sort of educational in a way that I'm not sure it would have been if they just played two flawless, <laughs> amazing shows. And and to this day, the first when they did the Fugazi live series, the second show, the show they played afterwards, is like one of like one of the best shows I've ever seen of any band. And I bought the freaking Fugazi live series of that the day it came out <laughs> because I was like, I want to remember this just because for me, it was so personally important as well as it's a really killer show. Don't get me wrong. But uh, yeah, that, that was just a, a, a lesson in persistence and, you know, and just taking it all in and not letting, not letting it wreck you like from early on from as a, you know, not as not as young as I probably uh, could have been, but like, you know, it was my first first time playing Chicago, so that should that should tell you something. Like it was I, for a lifetime of touring, that you know, like whatever I could give advice like that, like you know, half asleep <laughs> to a younger kid at this point. But at the time, it was huge. It was a big deal to me, and it was to all of us. And it was just kind of cool to see Fugazi deal with it in their Fugazi way, and to, you know, to realize that. Shit happens, man. <laughs> and even Fugazi has to deal with it. <laughs> but deal with it, they do. Yeah, sorry. That that turned into like a little novella there um, when I was supposed to be just doing plugs. But, uh, you know, whatever. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, That's I, great. Well told. I didn't even think about it until now. So, <laughs> uh, And just those those guys are just the, 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 the freaking best. That, that's another example, too, of just making yourself very available uh, to people, including people that don't seem to have anything to say, (laughs) 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 but just, just kind of, you know, being cool about it and like, and like finding, finding the joy in that. And like, you know, that's, I think that's, that's rad as hell because that, that's for me, that's how it ought to be. And that's something I think about all the time. And that's how I try to present myself and how I do my own art. And again, the, the, I, I think I mentioned really early on about the influence of Fugazi and sort of mysterious and ways you wouldn't necessarily expect. And that's something that I think, you know, that's a way to be. It's a life ethos. You know, religion, Devo, political beliefs, Fugazi. <laughs> there it is. We talked about how there's so much more to say than just about the music and bam, bang on. Great example. Well, thanks so much, Conan, for being on the show. Great to talk to you. Hope to have you back at some points later on down the alphabet. And as usual, my plugs are nothing much other than, hey, reach out to me at fugaziA to Z at gmail.com if you feel like it about whatever you want. And you can join the Facebook group, The Alphabetical Fugazi, and talk about what we have coming up in the near future. And I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we'll be discussing furniture. Until then, keep your eyes open. Let's go,